Welcome to the Living to Thrive with Cancer podcast, a podcast about the big and little issues that come with living with cancer. I'm Catherine White, a stage four colon cancer thriver, passionate about supporting others who have faced a cancer diagnosis and are looking to feel empowered in taking back control of their health and happiness. My own health scare helped me to learn more about myself and how to live with cancer, and it led me to become a cancer support coach so I can help others through the ins and outs, the ups and downs, and all the crazy things that come with life with cancer. So let's get started. Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode 1.3 of the Living to Thrive with Cancer podcast. Today, I want to talk about the concept of the diagnosis and how you don't have to be your diagnosis, how you can stay in control of your life after you've been told that you have cancer. So I want to start by going back to 2014, late fall 2014, when I started to have some weird feelings in my body. I knew something was going on because my energy levels, which were usually normally really high, were really starting to dip. I couldn't walk like 100 meters without being exhausted. I started having these weird pains in my body on the left-hand side near my pancreas. So I thought that maybe I had pancreatitis because I'd had that before. And then I started noticing that my poops were changing. And of course, if you are a colon cancer person, you know that you can't talk about cancer without talking about poop. So my poops were changing, they were getting darker, they were getting thinner, I was having trouble passing my bowel movements. It was all just getting really weird. And so I started investigating at the prompting of my husband what the heck was going on in my body. So this just led to this whole like barrage of appointments. And the thing that's interesting is that it actually ended up being a walk-in clinic doctor who helped me to discover that there was a problem. My GP didn't want me to kn- to talk about cancer at all. We knew actually that my dad had died of stage four colon cancer back when I was 22, but my doctor was like, nope, 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 we're not talking about cancer. He wanted me to have like an upper gastric bleed ulcer of some sort, put me on medication that made me really, really sick. And so I went to this walk-in clinic and the walk-in clinic doctor was like, tell me what's going on. This is not normal. And from there, I went to an ultrasound and the ultrasound we later found out showed the spots on my liver. That started leading to diagnostic testing, but all of that was sort of happening on the side while my general practitioner was still saying, nope, 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 we're not talking about cancer. And so I went to the walking clinic and that's where it started to unfold. So my first what the heck moment, and maybe you've had some what the heck, or maybe we should just call it like it is and say my what the hell just happened moment, was when I had gone into the hospital for a colonoscopy. So I'd met with a surgeon for this gastroscope that my GP wanted me to have, and the surgeon was like, tell me what is going on. And I told him about my energy, I told him about the pain, I told him about my poop, And he was like, oh my God, okay, so we're gonna do a colonoscopy. So I wake up from my colonoscopy and this lovely surgeon says, yeah, so we couldn't finish it. There's definitely a blockage and told me a whole bunch of things that I was like completely oblivious to because I was still a little bit out of it and I was a little bit like, what the hell is going on? And that's when the panic set in. My husband's not here. I know this isn't good news oh my God, what is even happening? And I'm sure that if you've had a cancer diagnosis, you can 
completely understand exactly what I'm saying. So this led to more tests, barium enema, x-rays and MRIs and all of the things that I am now incredibly familiar with and never ever thought in my life I would have to deal with. In the end, pardon the pun, it ended up being a diagnosis of stage four colon cancer. But here's the thing, this is part of the problem in talking about diagnoses is that I didn't know that I was going to the doctor's office to be diagnosed. I was going to the doctor's office to be told that I was having surgery and to get all that prep work done. And so I was alone when I got the diagnosis. I went in and said to my general practitioner, so did you get those MRI results? And he's like, well, yeah. And I said, don't you freaking tell me that I have cancer. And he just looked at me and he's like, well, we're 99% sure. And I was like, don't you tell me that I have cancer. He's like, we really think you do. I was alone. He knew he was going to tell me that information. He asked me where my husband was and he was literally down at the street at the barbershop with our kids. He knew he was going to tell me that information. But instead of allowing me the dignity and the compassion of having my husband with me, he brought me in by myself and told me that I had cancer. Okay, we didn't know it was stage four at that point, but irrelevant, really. He told me that I had cancer. So yeah, it ended up being stage four colon cancer. And I just think it's really important that nobody is ever alone when they receive that information because that moment was pivotal in how everything was going to unfold for all of the years now to come. And in that moment, that is like a catastrophic brain event where you go into fight or flight. And I could have really gone into a very dark place. I'll get to how I didn't. But I think what was missing was that this is a human factor. This is a human piece. Our brains cannot comprehend information like that. And then, depending on your background, previous traumas, previous health experiences, family experiences, that can determine how you're going to handle this diagnosis, which is what this whole episode is about, is not being your diagnosis. But he really set me up, I think, for failure by letting me be alone, by delivering significant news, and by offering me like medication so I could sleep instead of compassion that I needed in that moment. Anyway, I try not to be too bitter or frustrated by him and what his actions were, and I hope that he's learned from that. I have somewhat forgiven him for his lack of compassion in that moment, but I digress. So, I literally was sitting in what the heck just happened. And I wasn't sure if I was supposed to be more upset about being told that I had cancer or that I had been alone. So anyway, got in the car. I was like, I gotta go. I need to go home because I can't be here anymore. So I got in the car, called my husband and said, I needed to come home. I've got, I've got to talk to you. So he met me at home. I drove myself home. I don't even know how I got there. Like I know vaguely the route that I took because it was pretty straightforward, but I don't even remember driving home. It was surreal to see myself sitting in the living room with my husband coming into the house and having to tell him this diagnosis that I had just been given. Now, 
I do think that we're very fortunate. I'm here in Canada, and I know that the healthcare systems are different in different places, but I really think that we're fortunate to have access to healthcare in the way that we do, and, and fortunate to have access to medical teams and facilities that can support us when we're ill. But I think that as users of the system, we need to have information that's going to help us to take some control of our diagnosis right from the get-go. So that's a really important part for me, is being able to take control of your diagnosis. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that as we go along here. So just to sort of frame it around the doctor perspective, I get that the doctors have this responsibility to tell us the truth. They, it's probably very much a legal responsibility or obligation of informed consent so that we know what they are telling us, we understand what our diagnosis is, we understand what the process is going to be, and then I guess from there we can make our choices. But this obligation of informed consent means that the patient must be given an adequate explanation of the nature of the proposed investigation or treatment and its anticipated outcome as well as the significant risks involved and alternates that are available. Also, there's an obligation to obtain informed consent that must always rest with the physician who's to carry out the treatment or investigation, investigative procedure. And that makes sense. They need to tell us what they need to tell us, and we need to nod and smile and sign the papers and all of those things. That's the diagnosis part. Here's what you've got. Here's what we think. Here's what we're going to do. I get that. It's their job and it's their due diligence. And I'm eternally grateful to my doctors for the, the due diligence that they did in giving me the tools and the information that I needed. So other than the general practitioner, in my case, we had a really, really compassionate surgeon and oncologist. And I, again, I'm so blessed to have had them as my medical team. Their delivery of everything was tactful and honest. So what I want to share here is that concept that you don't have to be your diagnosis. They gave me what they had to give me, and then I got to decide what I was going to do with it. I expected to hear that it was cancer, that confirmation. We already knew that it was very, very likely cancer, but I, I knew that there needed to be a confirmation piece, and so the oncologist confirmed that. I thought, knowing nothing about cancer, really, and having not done any research, that it was probably like stage two. And for some reason, that's the story that my brain was telling me that, yeah, it'll be stage two and this is going to be really manageable. But when the word stage four came out of my oncologist's mouth, my husband and I, who were just sitting there expecting this to be, you know, a big deal, but not like, oh my God we were so taken aback. I remember we just kind of looked at each other and we were like, oh my God, what just happened here? I don't even know what stage four means, except I did because I was with my dad when he died of stage four colon cancer. So that same diagnosis was like racing in my brain at the same time as all of the confusion that was going on. So just walking it back for a moment, before we met the oncologist, we had decided, my husband and I, because he is my partner in everything and we make all of the decisions together, we decided that we would accept what the oncologist had to say because we feel that he's the expert in his field, but we'd also take the very first steps toward not being pigeonholed into statistics. So we were really clear when we met with the oncologist that we didn't want to know what my chances of survival were. 
because as our brains are pre-programmed to default to worst case scenario, we felt that would be um, setting me up for really not a great mindset around the whole thing. We wanted to make sure that we went into this with as positive a mindset as we could. So no statistics. We had the foresight to head this off before we talked to the doctor. And I just invite you to maybe consider that if that's available to you. It's not for everyone, but that's how we chose to handle it. We decided that, okay, we'd take the diagnosis, but not the prognosis. We decided that the numbers weren't going to determine my fate. Now, I belong to a stage four colon cancer support group on Facebook, and there are some amazing people in that group that are looking for and giving support to the community. And I'm always so shocked when people share that their doctors told them that they have like X number of months to live and there's nothing else that they can do. And maybe I'm just naive or maybe I'm just like a little bit dreamy about the whole thing. But I just think that there is always something that you can do. You can't necessarily change the medical diagnosis but you can change how you manage the diagnosis. And it just, it makes me so sad to see these people who come to this space and they're devastated and depressed and overwhelmed and all of the other pieces that go with being told you're going to die and there's nothing that we can do about it. So I just believe that there's always hope and that hope can come in many forms. The hope to be healthy again, the hope to live to see certain milestones. My first goal was to see my oldest son graduate from high school. That was a goal, a milestone that I knew I needed to reach. Hope to find treatments that could make a difference because there's always stuff that's coming out. There's always trials and tests and opportunities to try new things. The hope to live the best life that you can with what you have. I recognize completely that there's not always a cure and every day I am so grateful that I am on the other side of this, still living with it, but on the other side of being deep in it and that I'm still here. I feel very blessed to be able to say that. But not having a definitive cure, so back to the cure piece, not having a definitive cure doesn't mean that you can't live outside or beyond your diagnosis. I was not going to spend the time that I had, whatever that was going to be, worrying about whether I had a 30% survival rate if all of the treatments and surgeries and everything else went well and that if I got to three years, maybe I had X number of percentage points to get to five years. I couldn't wrap my brain around that and I didn't want to wrap my brain around that. I wanted to believe that I was going to make it. And, and mucking around in my brain with statistics was not going to help me to do that. So we said, screw it. Numbers were not going to dictate my decision on how I was going to live and how long I was going to live. Because somebody has to be the outlier. Statistics are the people on the low end and the people on the high end, and then it kind of all meets in the middle, but nobody's ever really the average. We're on both sides of the average, and somebody is always the outlier. Somebody has to be outside the numbers, and that, I decided, was going to be me. So how do you not be your diagnosis? Your diagnosis is what they give you. You have this. 
These are the treatment options. You need to make the decisions. That's the diagnosis. But how do you not be that? Accept it, learn about it, understand it, ask the questions about it, but not let it become your identity. You advocate for yourself. Start with asking if you should have someone at your appointment with you. That's huge. Or better still, just bring them along. It's your appointment. You're the patient. You're the receiver of the care. So you get to choose. Decide what you're okay with and what you aren't okay with. Explain to your healthcare provider that you understand they need to share the information with you, but there's some pieces that you choose not to know, if that's your choice. Statistics, again, for me, were not going to positively impact my will to live, so we left them out of the equation. And believe me, my oncologist confirmed that like four times, making sure that we understood that, and he understood that numbers were not part of our conversation. I also invite you to consider how much Dr. Google you really need to have in your life. You might be very curious about what things are and how things go and what drugs are and side effects and all of that, and that's okay, but just find the balance. Remember that you can find anything and everything on the internet. So consider if the hours of searching for answers is going to help to improve your diagnosis or if it's going to make you feel helpless and alone, because that's a really important piece. You're already probably feeling helpless and maybe feeling alone. So don't compact that by adding Dr. Google and those hours and hours of going down the doom scroll to your story. Be the ideal patient. And I find this really, really interesting. So according to Dr. Diane Perlman, there are certain qualities of a patient that can make them successful in their physical healing. And I truly, truly believe this. She defines successful as any, any condition that surpasses what's expected and pre predicted by the statistics. And she thinks, she believes that there are certain behavioral, psychological, uh, interpersonal and lifestyle features that can support you being more than your diagnosis. So what are these things you're probably wondering? Well, they include acceptance of the diagnosis. What Dr. Perlman says is that having a healthy emotional response to whatever your diagnosis is, because this isn't just about cancer, you may have a diagnosis of something else if you're listening in, but having that healthy emotional response to it can make a difference. And this includes feeling and living all of the emotions that come up rather than suppressing them. Suppressing your emotions is not healthy and is not going to help you. It's really important to get those emotions out and dealt with because otherwise they're just gonna compound inside of you and that's not going to help you get healthier. Rejection of the prognosis. So this refers to accepting the diagnosis, you have this, but then rejecting those limitations that are put on you. That's what I was talking about, about those, those people that come to that Facebook group. They're like, my doctor said I have X number of months to live. Well, that's what they're saying. But everybody's physical terrain and mental terrain in their body is different. So how one person lives with stage four colon cancer versus how another person lives with it can have multiple factors involved in it. So you don't have to accept the prognosis, live with the diagnosis, they've got that, but you get to decide about the prognosis, I believe. 
And that includes having a strong sense of determination, believing and hoping and focusing on the future and focusing your energy into healing. Also, you can be an active participant and take initiative in your diagnosis. So this is where Dr. Perlman speaks of choosing a plan or treatment that best fits your wishes and understanding and beliefs. You choose the the prognosis plan that is best for you. This isn't necessarily rejecting conventional medicine. I totally used conventional medicine and I believe completely that it in conjunction with me having my own idea of how I was going to manage my cancer helped me to be a cancer thriver. Um, So having those understandings and beliefs and fitting everything into what you want your treatment plan to look like is really important. And be prepared to have healthy disagreements perhaps with your physician or even your family on what it is that you want and how you want to manage this. And by healthy disagreements, I mean have conversations and really feel confident and comfortable explaining how you're feeling about it because they're going to need to understand where you stand and how you're feeling. Use this diagnosis as an opportunity to learn and grow. The Chinese word for crisis is dangerous opportunity, and I love that. My diagnosis gave me the opportunity to learn more about myself and the people around me. And some of it was good and some of it wasn't good, but it's also allowed me to take a really good, long, hard look at myself and work through some deep healing that went back way before my cancer diagnosis. And in doing that, it's brought me peace and the strength to grow as a person instead of staying stuck where I was. And I really, really think that that is a gift. Going hand in hand with that is introspection. This is digging deep into yourself and perhaps resolving some old pain and conflict or learning to forgive yourself or others. And this is what we call the shadow work. You have to work through the yucky stuff, that crappy stuff that you've been living with so that you can enjoy the good stuff and grow as a person. Find transformation in your interpersonal relationships. There's so much healing that can come from self-realization. Harboring that need to protect other people and put other people's emotions first, like you don't want to make them sad and you don't want to hurt their feelings, that's just going to keep your energy stuck inside of you. That's not in your best interest. By being honest and open, by rebalancing relationships, by setting boundaries and reprioritizing yourself, you're going to clear that negative energy and make space for new healing energy, which is so important because your body wants to heal. It's also really important to make changes in your lifestyle. Your diagnosis is the greatest opportunity you will ever have to make changes in your life. Medicine can fix things, but when your lifestyle is an unhealthy one that includes poor nutrition, living a sedentary lifestyle, high levels of stress, and so much more that you can't rely on just the medical system to make things better, you have to do the work. You don't have to be your diagnosis. You get to decide by digging in and doing the work. This is an opportunity to reestablish patterns in your life, create those boundaries, foster new healthy relationships, spend more time with the people you love, build a new relationship with your body, 
In the short term, these new habits are going to support your healing process, and in the long term, that can be life-changing. Find your courage. I know, this is a tough one, but you've got to dig deep and be brave so that you can make those necessary changes and take the next steps to healing. This is hard. I know it's not easy. I've been there. But it makes such a difference when you can just try to dig deep and keep moving forward one day at a time. So I just want to take a minute here to tell you a little story that just is so meaningful to me and it just sits so lovingly in my heart. This story changed my whole outlook in the early weeks of my diagnosis. So as I mentioned, the whole diagnosis thing completely threw me for a loop. Stage four what? I had no idea, right? All of the emotions, the fears, the self-doubt, everything was creeping in and I didn't know how to manage it. And one morning, not long after I'd had my colon surgery, I was home and I was having a really hard time. I was still in bed and I just decided that that morning I was allowing myself to slip into apathy. I wasn't fighting. I was feeling sad. I was overwhelmed. I was going down the slippery slope and I wasn't going to get up. I was going to pull the blankets over my head and I was all done and I was going to have a pity party and I was perfectly okay with that. So before, of course, I threw the blankets over my head, I decided to check my Facebook and there was a message there waiting for me. A friend of mine from when we were in public school had messaged me. His name's Jerry. And Jerry, in that moment, made my decision to change how I was going to accept my diagnosis and move forward in my life. In that moment, I decided that I would never, ever allow myself to feel that overwhelming feeling of defeat again. I made the choice right then and there that no matter how crappy I felt, I was gonna get up and have a shower and put on my big girl pants and dig in and get this done. And all that Jerry said in that message was, I just wanted you to know that I'm thinking of you today. So simple, so deeply touching. This person, this friend that I hadn't spoken to in years took two minutes out of his life to send me a message that completely changed my mindset around my diagnosis. And I made that decision in mid-February, late February of 2015, that I was not going to be my diagnosis. I had the opportunity to share that story with him last fall at a reunion and it really meant a lot to me to be able to look him in the eye and thank him personally for helping me on that day when I needed it the most to decide that I was not going to be my diagnosis. The last thing I want to talk about is significant healing relationships. Being supported by someone who gets it serves several purposes. First of all, it provides a space for you to speak honestly and have feedback that's genuine and comes from a place of experience. It also gives your caregiver a break. In episode 16 of my previous podcast, the Live to Thrive podcast, I talked about the role of the caregiver and the impact that a diagnosis has on them because it's not just us. It's not just us trying to figure out how to navigate this. It's the people that we love too. Your diagnosis impacts them in ways that cannot be understood by anyone other than another caregiver. Even I cannot fully understand the impact that my diagnosis had on my husband. So the same can be said 
and that your caregiver can't understand your circumstances from that deeper level either. And that's okay. That's not their job. It's not their job to truly and deeply understand. It's their job to love you and support you and lift you up and carry you along just as much as you're going to do that for them in the best way that you can. It's really not their fault if they don't get it. In fact, I would say I would never want them to truly get it. I would never want anyone to truly get it. I wouldn't want anybody to have to decide how they're going to manage a cancer diagnosis. But I do want them to have the tools to be able to do that. Being able to pour out your heart to someone to have the tools that you need to navigate this is so important. The final point that Dr. Perlman makes is about having a reason to live. Having a reason to live brings hope. I have to be honest and state the obvious, and that is that there are never any promises when it comes to disease and healing. We all know that. And that's the sad part about cancer is that they can't guarantee anything. But having hope can make a difference. Having even short-term goals that are purposeful can drive the will to live. Bringing in uplifting energy into your body can help you to reinforce all of the previous points that we've made about healing. There is so much that you can do to live to thrive in the moment with a cancer diagnosis. You don't have to be your diagnosis. You let the doctors do what they're going to do and you take control of your life and you do the things that you want to do. You go on picnics, you go on bike rides, you go to the park and watch your kids play, you go and meet that friend that you haven't met in years. Whatever it is that's going to lift you up, bring joy to your heart, help you to heal, to find closure in relationships, whatever it is, that's what you get to do. The doctors are going to do what they're going to do, but you get to do the other work that's going to make this hopefully just a little bit easier for you. As a cancer support coach, one of the pieces that I talk about with my clients is the idea of controlling what you can control. A diagnosis can be so disempowering. It's scary, it's unknown, and it's not inside of your control. But there are pieces that you can control and that the concepts that I've shared from Dr. Perlman in this podcast can be part of that. Healing is a complex process and there's this physical aspect There's the emotional aspect and there's the spiritual aspect. And each person is going to approach their diagnosis differently. This is based on who you are going into it. And everyone's outcome is going to be different because as I mentioned, our physical and emotional and psychological terrain is all different. Each of us is different from the other. And that's what makes cancer so complicated is that we all come to it with something different. But what I wanted to share with you today is that you can have some control. You can have tools and you can have strategies that can empower you. You can find ways to live your best life in spite of your diagnosis. And you don't have to be your diagnosis. You can be you. You just might have to make some adjustments and find that joie de vivre in the moment, even in the littlest things. And this is what I like to call living to thrive. Living to Thrive is at the heart of my cancer support coaching program. I work with clients to help them feel empowered again as a person because a cancer diagnosis can make you feel like you've had all your control taken away and can feel very overwhelming and scary. 
So whether you're newly diagnosed or you're rebuilding your life after cancer, gathering the tools and the knowledge to take control of your life, to accept but not be your diagnosis, and to live your best life in that moment can be part of the healing process. I would love to chat with you or someone you know who's looking for support and guidance after a cancer diagnosis. That's what I do is help people understand, decode, deconstruct, and then put back together the diagnosis that they've received so that they can live their best life in the moment. If this sounds like something you're interested in, or if you know someone that you think could really benefit from this, I invite you to schedule a call with me today to talk about how you can take back control of your health and your happiness and how to learn not to be your diagnosis today. You can find me at www.katherinewhite, that's K-A-T-H-R-Y-N, white.coach. I'd be happy to set up a call with you and to talk with you about how we can start working together to support you and get you living to thrive. Thank you so much for being here today. I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day. And may you live your life to your fullest, follow your heart, and thrive in all you do.